Let's go to the Lord in prayer and um, a few things to think about. We just want to keep our nation um, in prayer as uh, Hurricane Dorian has now strengthened to a hurricane. uh, It's a five, I think, a category five. And so we just want to pray that God will reroute it away, um, that people will use wisdom to get out um, and not just batten down the hatches, but to leave um, so it doesn't put our rescue workers in jeopardy either. But we'll keep... Um, Just prayer for Florida, for the Bahamas, um, and for the coast, the eastern coast. We also want to pray um, for our pastor, Pastor Richard. As you know, he was away on sabbatical, and he leaves today, right, Pastor Lisa, for Israel for two weeks. And so we just want to pray for him for safety, safety on the plane, safety wherever he travels, safety for who's with him as well in the places that he's staying. Um, And just pray that God will pour into him in just a new, fresh way while he's away. Um, And to pray for Pastor Lisa, um, for Philip and Hannah as well during this time as Pastor is away. Um, God still wants to move. This is his church. And we as a body need to be connected even more um, in these few weeks. Amen? So let's just go to him in prayer. And let's pray also that we can have a special anointing. You know, we always think of the word anointing for um, the preachers. But there's actually an anointing that we can pray for for the hearers. We have to have an anointing on our ears to understand because we have gone through so much. We have so much from the world um, in us, in our work, in our jobs, in our families. We actually can pray for an anointing on our own ears and our mind to actually understand and comprehend what God is speaking. Amen? So let's just go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you. We come before your throne this morning, Lord, just asking you for godly wisdom, Lord, as we are an extension of your church, Lord, of your body, Father, in this area, in this nation. Father, we lift up our nation as Hurricane Dorian is coming to the coast. Father, we pray for the cities. We pray for the islands, God, for those who are in the path of this hurricane to use wisdom to get out if they can. For those maybe who don't have a means to get out, we ask for just a hedge of protection over them, over their homes, over their families. And we just pray right now that you would reroute this hurricane. Just reroute it to the sea, God. We pray that even with the technology we have, they're telling us that it's on a certain path. You are the God over the weather, the wind, and the waves. And we believe that you can reroute and move this hurricane, God. And we ask you this morning to do that, Father. Lord, we lift up our pastor who is away, Father, who will be going away to Israel. We pray that while he's in that land, that you would just bless him, God, that you would pour into him, God, that you would just rejuvenate his spirit, God. We pray for protection over his family, over Pastor Lisa, God, over Philip, over Hannah, God, and over his extended family. We just pray for just your hand to cover them during this time, God. And we pray as the church right now that we would have an anointing this morning to hear your word, to understand it, and to go out and do it, Lord, this week. We thank you, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys ready for the word this morning? I'm excited. We are continuing our series that we started last week on not of this world, and we had a powerful time in his word last week, didn't we? We had some exciting things. If you missed it, man, you missed it. That's, there's nothing more I can say is you literally missed it. And so we do have it available um, through YouTube, through our channel, if you do want to go back to get some context. But this morning, I'm really excited to continue that series. And just to give you a recap, if you weren't here last week, um, we were in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And that is the framework, that is the main text that we're going to be using for these these next couple of weeks. And Paul simply writes, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was writing this letter while awaiting trial and a possible death to a body of people living under a rule of a very dominant and powerful Roman Empire. And he writes these words to remind them that we are not citizens of this world, We are not held to the powers of this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so one of the things that you see throughout this book, this was one of the most intimate letters that Paul wrote to a church. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but last week we looked at all of Paul's situations that he went through. He went through shipwrecks. He went through beatings. He went through being whipped. He went through being stoned. He went through being put in prison more than just once. And still he's able to say, rejoice in the Lord. Because he knows that his confidence is not in people. It's not in his situations. And it's not in his circumstances. It's on the Lord. Amen? And so we talked about, and I asked the question last week, and I'm going to ask it again. Do we really believe that God is in control? 
Do we really believe that? And you know, it's easy to say yes, it's easy to say amen, but then you go back to your life situations or things might even happen this week and that question might come to surface. Do we really believe God is in control? Because if we absolutely believe that, then it should change us completely as a believer. Amen? So last week we also talked about how can we tell the difference between a citizen of earth and a citizen of heaven because you're either, you're one of two. There's no in-between. You are either a citizen of earth or you are a citizen of heaven. And we talked about three things that distinguished the two. And number one was they are distinguished by their lifestyle. So a citizen of either place is distinguished by how they live. They're also distinguished by their Lord. That was point two. You're distinguished by who you call Lord. And what that means is who you give power to over your life. And the last one was you're distinguished by your liberty, by how you live in freedom. And we talked about even the richest person in the world doesn't mean that they're living in freedom. We looked at the parable of the rich man, and he still had anxieties and stresses. We all think that if we just had more money, then life would be easier. In some cases, it would be. In some cases, it would be. But in most cases, if that's all we look to, then we're not living in freedom. We're actually in bondage to that. And so... This morning, we are going to shift our talking about what distinguishes us as citizens of earth and heaven, and we're going to look at what we can come to expect as citizens of heaven. Amen? The question of what is life after death going to look like for those of us who are Christians or citizens in heaven? And we're going to go back to look ahead. And what I mean by that is we're going to be this morning in the book of Isaiah in the 25th chapter. I'll give you guys a second to turn there if you have your Bible, if you have it on your phone. It'll also be on there. We're going to look at three, three to four verses in this section, and we're going to look at three different things that are going to help us as citizens of heaven to expect when we get to heaven. Amen? So Isaiah writes this. I'm just going to read through the verses. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all the faces and the repro reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken." It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen? This is a powerful, powerful book. A lot of people don't realize how confusing the book of Isaiah is, but when you begin to study it, how powerful it is. And the revelations that are unlocked when you get to understand that Isaiah wasn't just speaking to a people during his time. Isaiah was speaking 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he saw things 700 years in advance. And where we are today, we are 2,700 years from when Isaiah ministered. And he saw things that were happening even after our time now. And that's powerful. It's a lot to take in when you read this book. But when you begin to study it, my goodness, you can get to see the before, the now, and the after. And so we know that Isaiah had something in common with all the people throughout the scriptures who had a remarkable call on their life. There was something that if you study each person in the Bible who had a special calling on their life, they had one thing that was in common. They all had an encounter with God. They all had an encounter that changed their life. When you have an encounter with the living God, it changes you. When you taste and see, and we sang that this morning, as David wrote, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, everything else grows dim in the light of the presence of God. There's this debate going on right now about the best chicken sandwich that's out there. We're seeing memes all over the place. I was debating the youth on Wednesday night. And so I just want to drop some fact bombs on them. You know, they're all saying KFC had the original chicken sandwich, and now Popeye's is coming out with a big one, but it's been and always will be Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A has the original chicken sandwich. Look it up. Google it. It's in there. It's the original sandwich. And let me tell you, when you eat that, it's so hard to go back to anything else. I mean, I, I took Paul out. I don't know. He might, is Paul in here? Paul Eckerman, you in here? He might be back helping the kids. We t I took him out to Popeye's, and I tried that sandwich, and it was good. It was good, but what it showed me was 
It's not Chick-fil-A. It's not the best, and it's not the original. So we might have to take that off the recording just in case they come after our church. But in the same way that Isaiah had this amazing calling on his life, he had an encounter with the Lord that changed him completely. And he wasn't living for the Lord fully. But when it said that he opened up his eyes and he saw the Lord seated on the throne and the glory filled his temple, he couldn't go back to his old life. God asked him a question. He said, who will go for us? And he could have said no, but because of what he saw, there wasn't, no wasn't an option. He said yes, and he answered the calling, and God used him in a mighty way. And so what made all of these characters in the Bible, what made Abraham leave all that he knew and almost sacrifice the thing that he loved most? What made David stand before a giant when all others trembled? What made Rahab turn against her own country? What made Isaiah stand before an evil king and eventually lose his life for being obedient to God? What made Peter continue to follow Jesus even after Peter, Jesus said to him in John 21, 18 through 19, Jesus looked at Peter and he said this, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another one will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And this is powerful. He said, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus had already said to Peter, follow me. And Peter followed him. But then he tells Peter that you're going to die a death where they're going to stretch out your hands and they're going to crucify you. And he asked Peter again, will you follow me? How powerful was it for Peter to know? He could have said at that point, that's too much. You know, sometimes the sniffles keep us out of church. Sometimes rain keeps people out of church. The enemy knows what, exactly what it's going to take. But imagine if Jesus told you what your death was going to be. And if it was going to be something that was so horrifying, how many of us would still follow him? And Peter, no wasn't an option. He had seen what Jesus had done in his life. He had seen the power. And to hear of how he was going to die, there wasn't a stumbling. There wasn't a, let me think about it for a few days. He followed him. And then we know he gave up his life. And some manuscripts even say that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy of being killed the same way of his Lord and Savior. How powerful. So what is it about Peter? What is it about all these other characters that I mentioned? It's because when you encounter Jesus, when you meet Jesus, when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you can't go back to anything else and find the same satisfaction. Amen? And so the question this morning is, is have you encountered him? Have you had that revelation of who he is? Have you put yourself in a place to experience that? Because if you haven't, there's still time and God is calling you. And we encourage you to seek God and have that encounter. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, Jesus is calling and has a plan for your life. Amen? Life here on earth is not easy. The journey that all of us had to get into where we are right now in this room, I'm sure has not been easy. But take courage because we are not of this world. We are citizens of heaven. If we believe by faith in Jesus Christ and make him Lord over our life, then Hebrews 13, 14 says this, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 in the message says this, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. And listen, listen. Then there'll be one over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Amen? This morning I have three things from this text that we just read in Isaiah that we can expect as citizens of heaven that should make us more excited for when Jesus calls us home or if he comes home while we're still living. We don't know. We know that he said he'll be back soon. Soon is kind of a, you have to think about that. Soon is not our soon, because obviously it's been 2,000 years since he's left, but he's going to be coming back, and that's the truth. Amen? And so whether he calls us home before he comes back or whether he comes back in our time, these three things are going to help us get excited and know what to expect when we get to heaven. Amen? So point number one is this. Eternal provision. Eternal provision. Let's go back to our text, Isaiah 25, in the sixth verse, it says, 
on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. According to statistics, in 2018, there were 820 million people undernourished on our planet. 736 million people lived on less than $1.90 a day in 2015. By the end of this church service, 2,081 people will have died from hunger. And when we go to lay our head on our pillow tonight, that number will jump up to 25,000 deaths just today, just from hunger. We look at our stock market. The stock market is as unpredictable as the Boston Red Sox pitching staff. Let that sink in for a second. <clears throat> they did lose 10 to 4 last night. People are worried and anxious about their retirement and how they are going to get by. As I mentioned before, Chi shared some statistics that were very high, meaning that most people live paycheck to paycheck. And that involves a lot of stress, especially if you have kids, especially if you're in a relationship, especially if you have bills to pay. There's a lot of stress that comes with that. But I'm here to tell you that as a citizen of heaven, one of the things that we can expect when Jesus returns is eternal provision. No more loans, no more banks, no more grocery stores, no more food expiration dates, no more anything. Isaiah was seeing something when the Lord showed him this vision. He was seeing this table set out. This table that imagine if we could see it. And what he saw was a feast on this table. And sitting at this table, in verse 6, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people. There were all kinds of people sitting at this table. It didn't matter skin color. It didn't matter what they did in their past. It didn't matter anything. But this table was prepared for all people. And Isaiah was seeing this, seeing this in the future. You may be here today and think that you're too far gone. You may be here today and think that you've done too, too much bad for Jesus to do anything good for you. But it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. This table, this place is prepared for all people. And it's a choice that we can make if we want to be there or not. And if we have made that decision, if we are active Christians and we are pursuing a relationship with God, then we have a seat reservation at this table. Amen? In several places, the Bible often speaks of what is often called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So listen to this. In biblical times, a marriage involved two major events. Our marriages nowadays in America, it's so crazy. I mean, the average American wedding now, I think, is over $50,000. I mean, our weddings look so much different than biblical weddings. But back in the Bible days, a marriage involved two events, and it was the betrothal and it was the wedding. These were normally separated by a period of time during which the two individuals were considered husband and wife, and as such were under the obligations of faithfulness. The wedding began with a procession to the bride's house which was followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. So by analogy, the church espoused to Christ by faith now awaits the arrival when the heavenly groom will come for his bride and return to heaven for the marriage feast, which lasts throughout eternity. Amen? How many of you want eternal provisions this morning? How many of you never want to have to worry or stress ever again about anything? You know, one of the most... I call it the unspiritual spiritual question, and I've asked this when I was younger, and I still ask it now, is will we be able to eat in heaven? It's just something I've always wanted to know. I love food, and I, I literally, that's always been something that's on my mind. And through studying the word of God, the answer is simply yes. We're going to be able to eat in heaven. I want you to show you a few scriptures. In Luke 24, 42 through 43, we see that Jesus, after his resurrection, in his new body, the body that we're going to be transformed into, we see him sitting and eating fish. It also says in Revelation 7.16 that we won't be hungry or thirsty anymore. So we won't have that need to be sustained, to have life in order to eat or drink. But then in Matthew 8.11, Jesus says, I will tell you, many will come from the east into the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
How cool is that going to be? This table that Isaiah was seeing, this feast that he was saying, we as Christians are going to sit at the same table with Isaiah, with Isaac, with Abraham, with Jacob, with Moses, with Jesus. We're all going to be sitting at this table and eating together. If that's not enough scripture, Luke 14, 15 says, Jesus says, when one of those who reclined at table with them heard these things, he said to them, blesses everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know what that word bread in the Greek means? It means artos, which means food composed of flour mixed with water and baked. So all of you people who think that's just imaginary, that is the Greek, that is the truth. Jesus is talking about bread. There will be food in heaven, and we as Christians are going to get to partake of that. Amen? Food no longer will be essential for living in heaven, but rather to enjoy fellowship and to celebrate together forever. Eternal provisions for all eternity. No more stomach aches. No loosening of the belt after a meal. No food getting stale or going bad. No Tums. No Pepto-Bismol. Thank you, Jesus. No more cooking. No more food prep. No more fridges or cabinets or cleanup. No more grocery stores or long lines. No more dentists. No more toothaches. For those of you who have lost your teeth, you're going to be able to eat again like you did before in heaven. Everything is prepared, everything will be ready, everything will be fresh, and we get to sit around not worried about time, no more tip calculators, no more having to leave tips, no more reservations or long lines of getting into restaurants on a Friday or Saturday night, because there's going to be no more Friday or Saturday nights. There's going to be no more time. We are going to get to enjoy each other's fellowship for all eternity, and we're not going to have to worry about the things that we worry about now. Amen? If point one doesn't get you excited, then man... Heaven might not be for you, but this is exciting. We get to eat in heaven. We as citizens in heaven, we get to look forward to eternal provisions by our Heavenly Father. You know, I, I mention this a lot, but just maybe, this is not scriptural, so if we could just take this part of this, the, the, if someone starts listening to this message right now, this is not in the Bible. We'll pause. All right. I wondered if Chick-fil-A is going to be in the, bio, in the heaven. I've always wondered that because it's Christian-based. I just wonder. I just think because it's so good, it has to be in there. And I even thought, you know what? If it's in there, then it's going to be open because there's going to be no Sundays. There's, I mean, it's not going to be closed. We'll be able to go whenever we want. We'll see. That's something I still have to discuss with the Lord and wrestle with in my own time. But what's even more exciting about the idea of getting to have food and fellowship and not have to worry about it sustaining life is that Jesus can't wait to be there with us. He can't wait to eat with us. Luke twenty-two fifteen says, And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then Mark fourteen twenty-five, he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When Jesus said those words, he's referring to this vision. He's referring to this time where when he comes to get us and we sit down for the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is sitting there and he can't wait for all of us to be around this table and enjoying fellowship with one another. Amen? I can't wait. Point two is this. We're going to have eternal provision, but we're also going to have eternal transparency. We're going to have eternal transparency. You know, we live in a, a culture and a world of filters, of social media, and I don't have any social media platform, but it's so funny. Once in a while, I'll go on Terrace. It's amazing the apps and the filters that are out there. We have so, I mean, there's people who have so many filters on their face, they don't even look like themselves when you see them in person. They put so many filters to get rid of blemishes, to di do different things. It's amazing. I'll sit, we'll sit on the couch for, with our girls, and we'll go through these filters just for fun. And I'll, I have some videos to prove it. And we just laugh and laugh. But people put those on for serious. They'll put that on, and they're like, this is me, just waking up. And we know that's a lie. We know that they got up, that they used different apps, that they sent it away to get blemishes, and then they put this picture up of this is me right now. Imagine if we could see through those filters and see the real thing. Sometimes it's like, put the filters back on. And I'm referring that to myself as well. But when we get to heaven, there's going to be no filters. There's going to be no veils. It's all going to be removed. And in verse 7 of Isaiah 25, Isaiah goes from seeing this feast to all of a sudden he goes, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. 
that word veil does not mean like a wedding veil that a bride will wear over her face. That word veil literally means a molten metal or an image of God. And as I begin to study that, that changed the whole meaning of that text. What that means is Isaiah began to see God destroying this image of false gods throughout the nations. If you travel to different nations, India, for example, they worship millions of gods. There are millions of gods that are carved out of wood. They're carved out of dirt. They're carved out of clay. They're carved out of metal. And people worship and serve these things. When Jesus comes back, he will shatter that veil so that everyone will see and know that Jesus is the living God. Amen? Isaiah sees this veil, this covering being destroyed, and we will be able to see God fully. Now, what does that mean? No one from now has been able to see God face to face. And God said, if people see me face to face, death has to follow because we can't, we can't handle it. It's like in the morning, if someone flicks your light on, the first instinct is what? You don't open your eyes wide, you, you, you shield yourself. You times that by a billion, by the glory of God, we can't look at his face. These bodies that we have cannot handle that. And we see throughout scripture, people who had encounters of God had extreme reactions. Even Moses, who was the most humble man to have ever lived, asked God the most gutsiest question. He said, I want to see you. He knew the law. He knew what God had said, but he said, I want to see your glory. And look what God said to him. In Exodus 33, 18 through 23, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, we will, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So even Moses, who was one of the most humble, and he literally was the most humble person to have ever lived, asked the question, and God said, I cannot show you my face because you would not be able to handle it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a cleft, and I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to pass by so that you can see my glory. And that glory was so bright that it said when Moses came down from the mountain, he actually had to wear a veil over his eyes because it was so bright. We look at Daniel in chapter 8, verse 15 through 18, where Daniel had an encounter with, the God, uh, with God, and it says he fell into a deep sleep. We look at John in Revelation 1.17, who, who saw the Son of Man and began to describe it, and it says that I saw him and I fell at his feet as though dead. But he said, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, he says in, in chapter 3, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He said, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That word covering literally means, um, it, it, it's, that word stretched, it means weaved. Satan has weaved his way into our culture. He's weaved his way into the nations. And people are serving other gods but him. But on that day, as citizens of heaven, when Jesus comes back, we are going to see God. And all other gods are going to fall. All other images are going to break, are going to melt. They're going to be shattered. And Jesus will be standing as the one true God. Amen? We will have perfect clarity to see God. Amen? I shared last week with, um, with you about the first time that I had gotten glasses. I did not tell my mom for 16 years that I needed glasses. I got away with it for 16 years. And finally, when I had to get my license, they made me look into that thing where you have to see the letters. And I just stuck my head in there, and I looked back, and I just said, I can't see a thing. <laughs> my mom looked at me like, are you kidding me? And so they actually let me use my twin brother's glasses just to pass the test. But I guarantee you, she booked my first appointment to the eye doctor's. And after I walked out of that doctor's office, now granted you, I had gone through school my whole life without glasses. And I don't sit in the front, I sit in the back. 
So I couldn't even see the chalkboard most of my life. I played basketball since fifth grade. I could barely see the basket most of my life. But when I walked out of that eye doctor's office for the first time, the drive home, the streets I have driven for years, everything looked different. Everything looked different. Houses looked different. Trees looked different. Animals looked different. My mom looked different. My family looked different. I could see the chalkboard at school. I could drive without putting people's lives in danger because something was removed, my pride. And I could now see clearly because of the lenses I was looking through. We as Christians, we can see and encounter parts of God, but when we go to heaven, everything that is in front of us, every preconception, every thought, every perspective is going to be removed, and we're actually going to get to see God in all his glory for the first time, and we're going to have the bodies to do it. We're going to have the mind to do it. Amen? How exciting is it going to be on that day for us to clearly see God? Point three. So we're going to have eternal provision. We're going to have eternal transparency and we're going to have eternal victory when we get to heaven. Isaiah 25, 8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You know, the Bible is the best story of all time. It is a story of God showing his sovereignty. The best writer in Hollywood can't even begin to come close to the layout of this book. When you begin to study this book, you will be amazed at the revelations that will be in it. There are scholars who have dedicated their lives, people who have doctorate degrees, multiple of them, who have studied this book for hours and hours a day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they still cannot even begin to get a hold or grasp the sovereignty and the greatness of God. Exodus 7, 12 says this, and now I want you guys to follow me. Isaiah sees this vision, and he sees, it says he will swallow up death forever. So that word swallow, I want you to log that away for a second. That word swallow literally means to destroy. So keep that word in your mind as we go back a little further in history. In Exodus 7, 12, we have this encounter of Moses before Pharaoh. So he's in his court. Pharaoh comes up with Aaron. You remember his staff that turns into a snake? Pharaoh brings out his magicians whose staff turns into snakes as well. So what happened was Moses threw his staff down, it turned into a snake. Pharaoh's magicians threw their staffs down and it turned into a snake. And in that verse it says, for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So get that word. That same word swallow is the one that Isaiah is using when he sees death being swallowed up. What we don't realize is Pharaoh would wear this funny-looking hat. And on that hat were two snakes. One of those snakes represented Upper Egypt, and the other one represented Lower Egypt. So when Moses and Aaron's staff, when Aaron's staff swallowed up the snake, God was saying, I am about to swallow up your nation. Because if we fast forward to Exodus 14, where the Egyptians were running through the Red Sea to chase after the Israelites. Remember that? Listen to this. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them were made. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And then we jumped to a song that Miriam wrote after that victory. And she said, you stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them up. Pharaoh, at that time, had two instruments that he would always hold like this. One of them represented a shepherd's crook, which meant good shepherd. Pharaoh, during that time, was God. He was the evening and the morning star. He was the Lord. That's what people looked at him to. And so what might have looked like a lost battle when you see that Pharaoh's magicians turn their staff into snakes as well, God was saying, I'm about to swallow you up. I'm going to swallow up your kingdom. I'm going to swallow up your power. I'm going to swallow up your authority. And there's going to be nothing left. And he did it right in front of him, right in his house. How amazing is that? And so when we see Isaiah, he says that death is being swallowed up. And it's the same word that was used for all these times. So when Jesus comes back, he is going to swallow up death. 
Pharaoh might have been a, a god at that time and he's dead, but Satan is always behind these evil rulers. And there will be one final showdown where God will swallow up death forever and there'll be no more effect on us as citizens in heaven. Amen? Revelation 19, 11 through 21. John has this unbelievable revelation of Jesus. What did the disciples know of Jesus? They knew that he was powerful. They knew that he, was, he could calm the wind and the waves. They knew that he could heal diseases. But one of the images that they remember is Jesus riding in on a donkey. Now that donkey, in the Bible times, it represented peace. And so it showed, imagine this image of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey, a lowly animal. The people are laying down their coats. They're waving palm branches, and they're saying, Hosanna. Jesus weeps after that because he knows that these people did not know who he was. But then John, who has this revelation, he says, then I, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. A white horse in the Bible days signified power. It has signified authority and honor. He says the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Imagine seeing this vision. In verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against the army. And the beast was captured. The beast was captured. And with the false prophets who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds who were gorged with their flesh. Jesus went from a humble person riding a donkey to riding on a white horse. There will be a time when Jesus comes back where Satan himself will gather an army to go against them, but he loses. He has already lost. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke death, he took away its sting, and there will be a final showdown where Jesus will come with the armies of heaven and he will cut down Satan, he will cut down those who are Satan are operating behind, and he will throw them away forever, swallowing death up eternally forever. Amen? Eternal victory in heaven. Jesus has always been and will always be king and sovereign over all. This was not a random event. This was not made up as you go. This was planned from the beginning of time. What will it look to be victorious? What will heaven look like? Listen to this as we close. It goes on to say that when we look at the word heaven in the Bible, we see a vastness that writers could not explain. The word shama or shamayim refers to the sky or everything above the earth and all that is visible from it, beyond the atmosphere, stars, and all that can be seen. In the Greek, orenos means the sky or the place where God lives, or even an eternal realm of happiness and glory. When the writers chose the word meaning sky or everything above the earth, they were saying that heaven is vast, lofty, and of God. We have this thing called the Hubble telescope. There are parts of the universe that are so far away that it's even hard to understand. Listen to this. The nearest galaxy, so we have billions of galaxies in our atmosphere, just to get a, a mindset of how big God is. The nearest galaxy to our own is called Andromeda. It would take us 2.2 million light years to reach. Now, if we designed a spaceship that could travel at 18,000 miles per hour, it would take 37,200 years just to reach one light year. So the closest galaxy to us is 2.2 million light years away. And just to reach, like, doesn't that blow your mind? And then to think even beyond that, there's billions of more galaxies out there? 
We have no idea how big God is. We can't put him in a box. We can't contain him in our minds. The writers didn't even have words to describe how big God is and how big heaven is going to be. Revelation 21, 10 through 19 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So John is now seeing this city coming down from heaven. I know if any of you have ever seen those superhero movies where you see those cities kind of rising up. There's an old Superman movie where they actually made this, this island that was, and Superman literally went under it and picked it up. And you see the city rising up. People are looking from the cities and seeing this massive city rising up into the sky. And so John is sitting there seeing this city come down. And look what it looks like. It's saying, having the glory of God, its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations on them, were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And one who spoke with me had a measuring rod. This is what I love, that God is so practical that he brings out a measuring rod. It says that a measuring rod of gold of course, it's made out of gold because it's in heaven. To measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length and same is the same as the width. And he measured the city with its rod. 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. So let's just get a picture of what, how big this city is. This one city that's coming out of heaven. It would be from where Maine is to Florida. One city. The size of one city. This was just a part of heaven coming down. And they're seeing how massive this city is going to be. It also says that he also measured its wall, 140 cubits by human measurement. And then it goes on to say, The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. There were 12 gates that were made from 12 pearls. We always hear about the pearly gates. These gates were made from one pearl. This wasn't a bunch of beads that made it look like a gate. Each gate was taken and made from one pearl, which means people who are in the jewelry business, they can't comprehend that an entire gate is fashioned and formed by one single pearl. And there's 12 of them, and they were shining like the sun. The streets in the city were pure gold, and it said it was like transparent glass. There was no more night and day because the city would be lit by the glory of God. Are you catching it this morning, citizens of heaven? Are you starting to get a picture of what heaven is going to be like? We are going to have eternal provision. We're never going to have to worry about anything else. We are going to have eternal transparency. We'll be able to see people in God for who they really are. And we are going to have eternal victory. And we are going to celebrate and live in a city that no one can explain. Amen? Revelation 21, 23 says, And I saw no temple in the city. This was huge because in the ancient world, it was unthinkable to have a great city without many different temples. It's like saying I saw a great city, but there were no banks in it. It's like I saw a great city and there were no stores in it. In biblical times, if there was no temple, it didn't make sense. But John sees this beautiful city and there's no temple in it anymore. You want to know why? Because there's no more need for sacrifice anymore. We are the church. There's no temple because the living lamb is in the city and he will be for eternal. Amen? We have eternal victory through Jesus. Amen? As citizens of heaven, we have many things to look forward to. This has been my most favorite thing since I've been studying the Bible to study. These, next, these last two weeks have been the hardest, but the most revealing that I've ever had in my study time with the Bible. I have never been more excited to be with Jesus, to understand that our life here may seem like it's a long time, but it's such a vapor. The wisest man in the world said our lives are but a vapor. It goes by so fast. And that's depressing to a world that doesn't know Jesus or doesn't know about heaven. But this morning, we are a church who begins to know what heaven is going to look like. We can't even begin to comprehend how big and how glorious it's going to be. Amen? Liz, you can come up as we close. Could you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer?
one thing that I noticed in this scripture was one of the things that this city had was walls. And so I began thinking, why would a city have walls if, if Satan is dead, if Satan is cast away, if, if there's eternal victory, why are there walls in the city? And as I began to study and pray, the Lord revealed that the walls weren't to keep enemies out because there were no more enemies. But these walls were to show that this city had exclusivity. And what that means is we live in a world where all paths go to Jesus. All paths go to heaven. You can live however you want. You can serve whoever you want. And as long as you're a good person, if you can achieve that status of good, then you can get to heaven. But what these walls show us is that they are for one set of people. They are people who have made Jesus Christ their Lord. They are people who call upon the name of Jesus. You can't just go out and fashion a God out of metal and serve it and think, I'm going to get to heaven. The world will tell you, the world will say coexist. They'll say you can get there by all the means, but there is only one way to get to Jesus. Revelation 21, 27 says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is not open for everyone. But it's a place where we have a choice. And this morning, maybe some of you have not made that choice yet. And it could be for any reason. It could be because maybe you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've walked as a Christian your whole life, but you've kind of strayed. The amazing thing is one bad decision doesn't mean we're out of heaven. But one full lifetime of good thing doesn't mean that you're in heaven either. It is not by our strength. It is not by our power. It is not by our might that we have access to heaven. It is by what Jesus did on the cross that is our only access into heaven this morning. Amen? It's exciting to talk about heaven, but you've got to go back to your jobs this week. And I'm sure it's very far from heaven. You've got to go back to your life situations some of you have to go back to your debt, to your sickness. And we believe that God is going to begin to move and heal people now in this church, in this season. But there is a time where Jesus will come back. There is a time where that vision that John had of Jesus sitting on the white horse coming back will happen. And it will be in a twinkling of an eye that Jesus will call his church to be with him, to be in this place called heaven. And you have a choice this morning. You have a choice to choose that. Last week, we talked about the things that differentiated citizens of heaven and citizens of earth. What does your lifestyle say about your citizenship? What does your Lord say about your citizenship? Who has power over your life right now? And lastly, are you living a life of liberty? Because even though the world may put you on a pedestal because of the way that you live, your finances and your job and your title, Jesus and God are not looking at your title. They're looking at who you have standing before you. And I pray this morning that it's Jesus Christ. The only way we get into this city is if Jesus goes before us and he has. He has gone to prepare a place for us. He has gone to prepare a place for you. But you have to make that decision this morning. So many people have Satan as Lord over their life. They're living under the bondage of sin. I mentioned weeks ago, that according to the scriptures, he's been fired. He has no authority over your life. We sang this morning that we hear the chains falling. They are falling and shaking in the name of Jesus. What you don't realize is we don't have to fight. God has already fought. When he died on the cross, that was the final blow. It took the sting out of death. And there will be a time where we will see death being swallowed up. There is a time where we'll see all the other gods who stand as gods in this culture being shattered and broken. And there will be a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? I'm going to pray this morning. 
We encourage you to go out, have some fellowship in the cafe, sign up for the life groups. But we are going to take time to leave these altars open because I don't want someone leaving here without knowing where their citizenship lies. It doesn't matter who you've hurt. It doesn't matter who've hurt you in your life. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past. It's about right now. When you have that revelation of God right now, he has a purpose for you. Moses stood before the burning bush as a murderer. And God didn't call that out. He said, I have a plan for you. David, who, 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 who went and had adultery with another woman, God didn't say, I'm stripping you of your title. He had a plan for David. We all have done stuff. We've all been through stuff. But right now, it's about now. And we don't know when he's coming back, but it could be any moment. And as the church, we are called to be ready. Are you ready this morning? Is Jesus Lord over your life right now? And if you aren't 100% sure, then you need to be at this altar seeking him. We have people who will pray with you, who will pray over you, but you cannot leave this room unless you are sure of where your citizenship lies because tomorrow is not promised. Amen? Too many people have been lost because they've listened to the lie that there's more time. Some of you are feeling that tug on your hearts this morning and we want to encourage you to just come and be before God. Just come and sit at his feet. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, when you leave this and go back to your, your debt, your sicknesses, to the poles of this world, it's not going to have that same satisfaction anymore. doesn't mean that the satisfaction will be there because the enemy paints things to feel good and to look good. But you're going to know in your heart that there's something different when you have had the encounter with Jesus. Amen? These altars will be open. I'm going to pray over us as a church, as a whole. But I encourage you to come this morning. Come this morning to seek him. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you, God, for your word this morning. We thank you for the people who are gone before us, who saw visions of you being the conquering Savior. We thank you, God, that this morning we can have eternal provision in heaven. We thank you that there'll be eternal transparency in heaven. We thank you, God. We thank you. Lord, there's people in here this morning who are just, Lord, they aren't sure. Right now, I break the bondage of Satan over people's minds right now. You are fired in the name of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no more authority. You have no more words of negativity to speak. Holy, Holy Spirit, we pray that every negative word spoken over people's minds would be uprooted right now in the name of Jesus. There is eternal victory for the citizens of heaven. And we can experience that victory now. Let this altar be a place of encounter with the living God this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray in this new age of the church. Let Victory Church be a monument in the city of Providence of your glory. Let it be a beacon of hope for the lost that are around us, God. Draw all people to you in these upcoming weeks and months. As we go back to our life situations, God, let us be excited by the truth of knowing what's coming. That we are not of this world. We are citizens of heaven for those who call upon the name of Jesus. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.